uh, Psalm 30. Let's read it together, 12 verses. Really encourage you to, uh, to, to, to you know, turn your attention to the Scripture and, and take this in and drink it in, because we're going to read this, and then we're going to spend about half our time actually setting this up and talking about uh, some possibilities of when this was written. And it may be that this was sung at all three of these occasions we're going to read about, because it really, uh, you know what, illustrates this psalm so much more, and I think there's a lot more we can glean from if we consider some possibilities of when it was written, and even if it wasn't written at these times we're going to consider, there's definitely still application that goes with this psalm that we can take and glean for our life. So let's read this together, and Lord, just give us ears to hear here. It says, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 6, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Verse 11. <clears throat> you have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and put off my sackcloth, and clothed me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you, and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, we see real clearly in this David giving thanks and praise to God, because the Lord has brought deliverance from several things that are mentioned in this psalm. He speaks of a near-death sickness, whether that was a literal physical sickness or a place of feeling like he was near death because of the trials that he had gone through. But we see him rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord had brought him through that. We see as well David rejoicing because the Lord brought him through a chastisement. And we'll see that this psalm refers to David being prideful, David being arrogant, And the Lord turning his face from him, bringing a chastisement and weeping going through the night, but joy coming in the morning and him rejoicing in that. And in all of it, again, we see him rejoicing and God bringing him through this emotional turmoil, bringing him from sackcloth to garments of gladness. And again, from weeping to rejoicing and dancing. We also see that uh, it seems when this happened, it was in the midst of a national crisis because we see in verse 4, David calling out to the saints, David calling out to Israel to give thanks and rejoice as well. Because the Lord had brought the nation, it seems, through this time of turmoil. And so as we look at this psalm, I think the verse that pops out, you know, at the, the, the verse that is the key verse in it there is verse 5, where it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And praise God, listen, as followers of Jesus, we're going to go through those times of trials, those times of chastisements there's going to be times where there you know it is forgiveness when we call out to the lord but there's consequence for our sin that has to be dealt with and yet through it all god is faithful through it all we have a greater hope through it all we know the lord is going to bring us through those things 
And even here in our time here on earth, listen, there's much to be thankful for. There's much to rejoice in. But there's a lot of grievous things in this life as well. And a lot of things that bring tears and so forth. But again, joy comes in the morning and joy is coming. And it's going to be upon us for all eternity. So there's so much to glean in the psalm about giving praise and thanks to our God, His faithfulness. Learning to humble our hearts before Him and walk in that humility. And again, enduring in trials, knowing that God is faithful to us even when we are faithless. So before we get into looking at these 12 verses, and we're going to go through them at a, at a quicker pace than normal, I do want to spend time again considering when perhaps this psalm was written. And it could be very well that this psalm was written at the first uh, point that we're going to consider, then sung at the other two points that we're c- going to consider. And there's a lot of Bible commentators and historians that agree that that could be the case. Because again, we see uh, this weeping, this sackcloth, coming out of a pride, David saying, listen, in, in, uh, in my prosperity, I said, I'll never be moved. And then he changes his tone in verse 7, saying, you made me strong, you hid your face, and I cried out to you. And so we see this all play into the psalm, and we see some spots where it seems that this fits. Now again, notice what this starts with, a psalm, a song of the dedication of the house of David. And so the first place to consider is the actual dedication of the house of David. Now, the word house here can also be translated palace, which opens up, again, some other possibilities. But we can look in the scripture, and we can see when the house of David was actually built. And this is uh, talked about in 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, and a lot of the chapter speaks of it. Now, what was going on at this time? Um, seven years earlier, David, seven, eight years earlier, had become king over Judah. And we know after about seven years, and we'll talk more about some of the things that transgressed or transpired, David then had become king over all of Israel. And God had called Israel there into Canaan not only to give them that land, but also to use them as an instrument of judgment against the Canaanites that had rejected God and worshipped demons and sacrificed their children to demons and committed sexual immorality for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it was time for them to be judged. And yet a lot of time had gone by And the Israelites had still not taken the city of Jerusalem, though God had given them that city. And so after David had become king, not only over Judah, but also over all of Israel, the Lord put it in his heart to go and to take Jerusalem for Israel. Now, there was a group of people there called the Jebusites. And you got to understand, strategically, Jerusalem is a stronghold. It's a high point. it's very easy to wall in the city to make it very difficult for enemies to get into that city. And the Jebusites were in that city, and basically they mocked other peoples that tried to come in and overthrow them. They basically said, hey, we're sitting here safe. There's no way that you are ever going to overthrow us. So David put out, you know, a, a call to the people, and he said, whoever can go in and take over Jerusalem, I'm going to make him the captain of our army. Now, there's a man named Joab in Scripture. He's quite a character. Uh, And Joab had already had some setbacks once David, who was the king of Judah, you know what, also became the king of Israel. And all of the nation was united. Joab gone and killed the captain of the army of the Israelites, and it almost kept all that from happening, but David mourned over it, and the people there in the north saw that, and the Lord still brought them together. So 
in and of that, there's probably no way David would ever said, hey, listen, we're going to make you the captain of the guard now. But Joab, in his zealousness, figured out a way to get there into Jerusalem. It says that he went up by the way of the water shaft. And he got up there into Jerusalem and he overthrew the Jebusites. And the Lord gave the city of Jerusalem there to Israel. And we read in 2 Samuel 5.9, after that happened, it says, Then David dwelt in the stronghold, and that speaks of Jerusalem, and called it the city of David. And that's why another name for Jerusalem is the city of David. What's awesome about that is very recently, the city of David has been unearthed by archaeologists. And if the Lord willing, you can go with us to Israel in the fall, you'll be able to see the city of David. And boy, it so lines up with Scripture. And you can see there, they found where David's palace is and, and so forth. And you can see why the high point, how we can look down and see Bathsheba and all these things. It's very awesome. And so it says here again, David dwelled in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and David built all around the millow and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with them. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messages to David, and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and notice here, they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Now, again, in reading this psalm, again, it speaks of weeping, it speaks of sackcloth, it speaks of chastisement, and then it speaks of restoration and victory that the Lord had brought. And so, if this psalm was sung there at the literal dedication of this house, we can see how this would fit. Because remember, there was a 10-year period where David was out there in the wilderness. And it doesn't say here that the sackcloth was something that had immediately happened, an immediate change. During that time of wilderness, there was a lot of tears that David shed. And there was a time there in the wilderness where towards the end of that time, David kind of disregarded the promises of God. David, God had told David, you're going to become king one day. And David basically said, that's never going to happen. And he went down and he got himself in a bad place where eventually he even tried to partner with the Philistines when they were going out to war with King Saul and Israel. And yet God had intervened in that. And then when David and his mighty men came back to their camp, they had found that Canaanites had come in and they had taken all their women and children captive. And then David's mighty men talked about stoning him. And boy, you talk about coming to a place where you feel like you're near to the grave. These men that had come to me and ministered to are now talking about killing him. And not only that, all the women and children are captive. And we read there in the scriptures that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And as he did, God brought a victory. And it was right after that that then David became the king of Judah. And then for seven years, there was a great turmoil between Judah and the house of Saul. Though Saul had lost his life on the battlefield, but through the house of Saul and David, there was great unrest and great turmoil and so forth. And absolutely, because God had called all Israel to be one, it was a national turmoil. And then they finally were united and then God gave them Jerusalem, then the house of David was built. And you could see very easily how this psalm would, fill, would, would fit. Sackcloth and tears and God's correction with pride and yet God's faithfulness. Now the dedication of the house, you know what, time to give glory to God because God was faithful. Now one side note there with that before we talk about a couple other possibilities. Again, David dedicated his house. And we should have our homes dedicated to the Lord. And let me ask you, is your home dedicated to the Lord? Now, I found in the last 20 years or so of ministry, there have been several times when people have asked me to come 
dedicate their house to the Lord. And there's been times when I've gone and I've, you know what, uh, prayed over that house or apartment or whatever it is. I know I have people come and they're just like, man, I, I just don't even feel at peace here when you come and pray over the house and so forth. And absolutely we should do that. And some of those occasions, occasions, I got the feeling that there was more of a desire for God to bless the plumbing in the house than the praise to God in the house. And, you know, and in that sense, the dedication of the house, yeah, you know what, we want to be good stewards with these things, and there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, bless the plumbing, especially if you've ever had bad plumbing. It's nice when it's blessed. But listen, this is more an emphasis on the spiritual house. This would be more, I'm dedicating my house to the Lord, Lord, we thank you for this physical being, or this physical building, but it's our prayer that you would be honored in this place. You'd be glorified that this would be your house. It could be used for your praise. It could be used to minister to others and you to be glorified in it. And that's a prayer that we should be asking. That in our house, so to speak, God would be being glorified. He would be being honored. He would be being praised. And that absolutely is a prayer that we should be lifting up to the Lord and absolutely, it is more on the spiritual emphasis. In fact, we read in 2 Samuel 7, 25, uh, God uh, telling David that basically through him, the Messiah would come and, and, and the Lord would bless his children, his kings, and so forth. And there was a spiritual emphasis on this prayer that David made in 2 Samuel 7, 25. Now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. And this was, again, in a spiritual sense. Again, be praised in our home. Let it be established before you. And that should be our prayer. That again, God's praised in our home, and the will of God is established in our home. And so we want to pray that. We want to dedicate that to the Lord. But again, with that also comes practice. Because if we just pray for God's blessing, but we don't want to go apply the word, then that's really not much of a fervent prayer, and it's more lip service given to God. Proverbs 14.1 says, a wise woman, and I know it's Father's Day, fellows, but a wise woman, I think there's application for all of us here, a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And yes, we want to dedicate our home to the Lord in prayer, but we got to understand part of that dedication of the Lord in prayer is saying, God, work and move in my life. God, give me a heart after you. Correct me, Lord, when I need that correction. Fill me with your spirit. Let us be a people that not only are in the word, that are taught the word, but a people that are applying the word so we don't tear this down with our hands, but instead the hand of God would be over our household. We need your help, God, in walking in what you've called us to walk in. And so this morning, listen, if you have never dedicated your home in that manner, I'd encourage you to do that. And if you're in a place where you have not been walking in the things of the Lord, and you need to rededicate it to the Lord to absolutely do that, and the Lord absolutely wants to meet you where you are at in those prayers. He wants to empower us in those things. Now again, perhaps that's when the psalm was written, and perhaps again, it was written on another two few occasions we'll consider here. It may be that it was written here and sung at these other two occasions because it fits. So the second thing we want to consider, the second occasion, is the time in second, or second Samuel 6, the next chapter, where again they had taken Jerusalem. They set up the tabernacle there. It was before the temple had been built. And so they had moved the worship to God to Jerusalem. And yet the Ark of the Covenant was not in the tabernacle. 
On Wednesday night, this last Wednesday night, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant and the command given to build the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And that was to go in the Holy of Holies. It's where the Lord would meet with the high priest, where he would bring sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so they needed to get the Ark of the Covenant there in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so we read there in 2 Samuel 6 that there was an attempt to move it to the tabernacle but it was a failed attempt and the reason it was a failed attempt is because it was not done in accordance to scripture David was in a place where he was in pride he did not want to consult with the Lord he did not want to consult with scripture the kings were to make a copy of the word of God and they were to read it every year and no doubt he had again those first five books written by Moses And yet he did not heed that call to move the ark in the way it was supposed to be moved. Instead of moving it with the poles that went through the rings on the ark, made of acacia wood covered with gold, and having the Levites move it, the priesthood move it as was prescribed by scripture, he moved it the way the Philistines had moved it. Because see, earlier on, many years earlier, there was a war with the Philistines The Israelites lost that war because really they were in sin, but they said, if we bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle, it will be like a good luck charm and we'll win. Well, it didn't work out that way. They were defeated by the Philistines, and the Philistines said, ah, we got the Ark now. And yet it brought forth a curse to the Philistines, and then they basically said, we don't want this thing anymore. And they attached it to a couple cows, and the cows brought it back there into Israel on a cart with wheels. And it was brought back on that cart, and it seems like it was left on that cart because they come to move it into the tabernacle, and we read that it's still on a cart, and we read that Levites aren't moving it, and as they're going on that cart, it must have hit a pothole in the ground because it begins to fall over, and a man named Uzzah goes and he puts his hand to keep that ark from falling, and he's struck down dead. And basically from that, a fear fell on the people, and... We read in the scripture that David was afraid of God, and it implies in the scripture that David was angry at God. And yet all this had happened because of the pride of David, because David did not want to do things according to the word of God, but the way the world did things. And so as a result of that, there were many tears. There was sackcloth. There was mourning. And out of that, David humbled his heart, and he turned to the scriptures, it's talked about there in chronicles to do things biblically and we read in second samuel six twelve. it says now it was told of the king saying the lord has blessed the house of obed edom all that belongs to him because of the ark of a god that's where they parked the thing in the meantime so david went and brought up the ark of god from the house of obed edom to the city of david with gladness and so it was when those bearing the ark of the lord had gone six paces And so they're burying the ark properly now with poles and it's Levites moving it, that they sacrifice oxen and fatted sheep. And then verse 14 says, then David danced before the Lord with all of his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And you can see how this psalm would fit. Again, they do things in a prideful way. It brings tears. It brings sorrow. David had to feel like You know what? He was near death knowing that his decision to move this in this way had brought death on Uzzah. Just like when he got back there from the Philistines earlier on and his wife and children were gone. There must have been a feeling of death that came upon him. 
the same with this. But then when he humbled his heart through this chastisement from the Lord, he went back to the scriptures and it was done in a biblical way. They went six paces and gave sacrifice to the Lord. And then David, you talk about going from sackcloth to being clothed with gladness and turning mourning into dancing. Not only did he dance, it wasn't just like one of these. It says he danced with all of his might. With a linen ephod. And this is where we know his wife mocked him and said, you know, you're like one of the commoners in Israel. And he said, I don't care. I'm here to worship the Lord. I don't care. I'm going to rejoice in God. Because there was weeping. There was sackcloth. But God has corrected and God has been faithful. And now there is great joy that has come in the morning. Now, another spot where perhaps this was either written. It definitely applies. It could have been, again, written earlier and then sung this time as well. And that was at the dedication of the threshing floor, uh, uh, the threshing floor of Arania at Mount Moriah. Now, towards the end of David being king, and David had gone through many victories, and there had been many setbacks and so forth. And David's near the end of being king. We read about this near the end of his life, second, or 1 Samuel 24, uh, 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21, that, that David's heart was full of pride. And it says in 1 Chronicles 21, 1, uh, now Satan stood, upon, stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And so he was full of pride, so it opened a door to be influenced by the enemy. And 2 Samuel 24, 1 says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Remember this psalm, he talks about the anger of God. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. And so it seems that God allowed the enemy to move David because in his pride, David wasn't seeking the Lord. And so David was saying, look at all these people. This is because of me. Aren't I a great king? That a boy, David. I want you to go. And he told Joab, I want you to go number the people. And Joab, who was, again, quite a character in Scripture, he does wonderful things. At times you're like, this guy's a scoundrel. He pleaded with David not to do it. He said, oh, king, you know what, let the numbers be more and more, but just don't do this evil thing. And David didn't heed him. And so they went out and they numbered the people. And again, it wasn't being done for practical reasons. It wasn't being done to glorify God, but it was being done out of David's pride. Again, he wasn't heeding the scripture. And his prosperity basically said, I can't be moved. Let's go number the people. And notice in 2 Samuel 24, 9, it says, Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. A side note on this that's interesting is that Joab didn't number all the people because he was so disgusted by it. So kind of the type of guy he was, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to number them all, so the number's not so high. And verse 10 it says, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So again, he wanted this in his pride. As soon as he got the number, immediately a condemnation or a conviction came upon him. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And listen, at that moment, immediately the Lord forgave him. But there was still going to be a consequence for his actions. Verse 11, it says, Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. And David ends up choosing the Lord bringing a plague upon the nation for three straight days. You talk about weeping. You talk about sackcloth. You talk about ashes. You talk about David feeling near death because he knew this plague became, 
came because of his actions. We go and we read that the plague killed 70,000 people there in Israel. And even cried out to the Lord and he said, it's not their fault, Lord, this should be upon me. And then we see that the plague was stopped there at Arauna's house, threshing floor. And David went and he bought the threshing floor from this man. And he was led by the Lord to build an altar in this place. And to offer sacrifice to the Lord where the plague ceased. First Sam, or 2 Samuel 24, 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. And again, it fits this psalm, weeping and so forth. Now the plague has stopped, the altar is built, and no doubt in this national crisis, the call would be out, let's give praise and thanks to God for his faithfulness. Now what's awesome about this is the very place where this threshing floor was at, it's on Mount Moriah. And most believe right where the threshing floor was, was the very place where Abraham had offered up Isaac. And then God stopped him and said, I'll provide a sacrifice, you know, at myself. And it was the very place where they would actually build the, tab, build the temple, where Solomon would build the temple, and this was the very place where the Holy of Holies would be. And most of this is thought because, again, it would be built at the highest point, and the threshing floor would be at the highest point where the most wind would come to separate the wheat from the chaff. And it all fits. So out of, again, this rebellion of sin, not only did God sustain them and restore them, but he even brought the very spot where they were to build the temple and where the Holy of Holies would be, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, and where, again, sacrifice would be brought for the people's sin, and God would meet with the high priest. So again, you see where all this could fit. And again, perhaps it was written at the dedication of the house and sung at these other two times because it fits. And they, were, they worshiped the Lord in truth. They would find psalms that would fit the occasions. Now, with that said, let's go through this, and we'll put it into overdrive now. And we've talked a lot about it. But I think it, it's, it's helpful to consider those things first. Now notice verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now notice here the second word of this verse, I will extol you. This is David making a willful choice to take action to raise up or praise the name of the Lord. He said, I will do this. He doesn't say, I feel like doing this or I should do this or... You know, I'm in a certain setting, so I'm expected to do this. He said, I will extol, I will worship the Lord. And listen, so much of our culture today is feelings-based. Do I feel like doing it? Do I not feel like doing it? Am I getting something out of it? I think a lot of that creeps into worship. And we need to get that out of our wheelhouse, so to speak. We need to be a people that say, I will extol the Lord. Listen, whether I'm a base or whether I'm abounding, whether the sun's out or the sky is cloudy, I am called to worship the Lord, therefore I will. Listen, there are so many distractions from worship. Even when we gather together on a Sunday morning, there's so many things that want to keep us from worshiping the Lord. I found this to be true in my own life, and I know myself, I am making more of an effort to say, listen, I'm putting all this stuff out of my mind. I'm going to focus it on the Lord, and I want to look at these words that we're singing, and I want to sing them unto God, whether I feel like it or not. And I'll tell you, when you do that, the things of the world begin to drift away as we get our eyes more fixed on Jesus and giving the praise due His name. Now notice as well, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now in the context, again, of these occasions we've looked at, God didn't allow Saul to have victory over David. The Philistines, 
those that had taken the women and children captive, those Canaanites that had done that. When they moved the ark, listen, the ways of the world are enemies, are, is our enemy, the way of the world. The Lord intervened, didn't let that have victory. Satan, when he moved David, again, it was a setback, but he didn't have victory. David's own pride, our pride, again, our enemy so oftentimes, the Lord didn't allow those foes to have victory over David. He says, I'm going to rejoice in you. Because David knew that, listen, he should have been defeated by all those foes. He knew if it was based on him, again, he wasn't deserving of the victory, but God in his goodness had brought the victory as David called out to the Lord for help in the midst of his setbacks. And think about it. Again, he says, you have lifted me up. And now think about our victory. He has lifted us up, has he not? And given us victory over sin, death, Satan, and hell through faith in Jesus Christ, who was lifted up for us. Christ was nailed on that cross for us. Christ took the wrath to us upon himself, and death could not hold him. He defeated when he rose from the grave, and we have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, that is all the reason in the world to extol the Lord, to give worship to God, because we have victory in him. Are you in Christ today? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, no matter what's going on, we have victory over those enemies, and we have eternity set before us, and that is reason to give glory to our God. Verse 2, he says, O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. And again, this indicates here that a sickness came upon David. The next verse, he talks about the Lord delivering his soul from the grave. Now, perhaps this was a literal physical sickness. We know with the sin there with Bathsheba and him trying to cover up, he wrote some psalms about a literal sickness that came upon him. Perhaps that was the case. It may have been, though, that it was a sickness in his soul. Because he knew, again, in all three of those occasions that we considered, what came out of that, the death of Uzzah, the plague of, you know, that killed 70,000, the women and children being taken captive, and a way you could pin that all on David. And that's enough to make you feel like dying, is it not? Have you ever been in that place in your walk with the Lord that you, in your pride, you weren't heeding the scripture and you did some things and Man, our God is good and he forgives us, but there are some consequences that came out of it that affected others and so forth. There's a sickness that comes on your soul. There should be a sickness that comes on our soul from that. Let us not be so hard-hearted that we would just brush it off and say, oh, well. And in it, he cried out to the Lord. And whether it's a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness, we read recently in the book of James, we need to cry out to the Lord, right? He talks about confessing our sin, crying out to the Lord, getting prayed for by one another. And we know this the world is in a sickness, the sickness of sin, and yet Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now notice verse 3, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. And again, whether it was, uh, uh, this is a figurative phrase of, of you know what, David dying from a sickness or feeling like he's dying from sickness, we know that the Lord kept him alive. The Lord sustained him despite him. And now he's giving God praise for this. Now again, there's also application to our Lord. This is a messianic prophecy here. Because there is one who did go to the grave, and yet he defeated the grave, and he defeated the pit when he rose from the grave, and that's Jesus Christ. And many of these Psalms have prophetic utterance in them that Jesus fulfilled. And so again, 
he was lifted up so that we could have salvation. This is a messianic prophecy, but it's also a prophecy for all in Christ. Because we won't see the grave. These bodies will go to the grave. Our spirits go to be with the Lord. And when the Lord comes back, these bodies will get raised and transformed to an everlasting body that's no longer subjected to the fruits of sin and death and so forth. And so there's rejoicing to be found in these things. Now notice verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Now you see David here calling out to the to the. To, to all of Israel, let's give praise to God. It's an indication that God has brought us through this time of weeping, this time of darkness, this time of sackcloth, this time of mourning. And God has been faithful to us, and so now we need to turn and we need to give praise to the Lord. This is also a call to all the saints today to praise Him. And if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you're a saint. And you didn't know that. Know who you are in Christ. One who's a saint is one who's set apart. It's not one that's deemed by other men. Oh, well, they're good enough. We'll call them a saint. They're a cut above the rest. We're all sinners. And we're made saints through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's calling to the saints of God to give praise to the Lord again, in part because of God's faithfulness and who he is. On top of that, he just deserves it no matter what. And then he says, give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. What's awesome about this is that God, first and foremost, continually remembers us. You know, God's thinking about you right now. You're always on God's mind, not making it up. It's in the Word of God. Psalm 139, 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And God's mind is always on us. David is calling to the people to give praise to God and to give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. And our mind should always be upon him. In fact, we are called to set our mind upon him. It's interesting, Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked in his proud countenance does not see God. God is in none of his thoughts. I don't want that to be me. Colossians 3.1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, in God when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's set our mind on the Lord. And again, setting our mind on the Lord, he says here, give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Listen, there's so many things that want to get our attention off God. This is a culture that's mind's not set on God. And not only is his mind not set on God, it's not thankful towards Lord. And that ends up just taking from us. There is joy found with a mindset upon the Lord and then in a life that gives thanksgiving to God. Again, it is a, it is a change. You know, it, it brings so much of the work of the Spirit of God in. And there's so many people, if they would just begin to set their minds on the Lord and give thanks to God, their lives would radically change. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then notice verse 19, do not quench the spirit. You want to quench the spirit of God in your life? Don't set your mind on the Lord and don't be thankful and grateful. How many times are we going through trials, even trials of correction brought on by us and our decisions, God wanting to teach us something, 
And instead of setting our mind on the Lord, our minds just set on the situation. Instead of giving thanks to God for being with us and knowing he'll work it for good, we don't show him any gratitude or anything. And it quenches the work of the Spirit of God in our life. When God is wanting to bring these things to bring forth even more fruit and draw us closer to him, let that not be us. If you do not practice giving thanks to God, listen, that needs to change. It's God's will that we're a thankful people. And the call here is to give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Notice verse 5. For, in his, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And again, this speaks of a chastisement. We love our children, but there's times our children do things that make us angry. Has anyone ever been there before? And out of that, we know there needs to be a correction. And our hope as parents is that correction brings some tears, and it's not just worldly tears, I'm sorry I got caught, but it's tears of repentance and a correction to try to teach them that, listen, there's consequences for this behavior in hopes that there would be genuine repentance, that that would bring a change in their life that would bring more of a joy to their life. And listen, when we walk in that, it's just something that's modeled by the Lord. Notice again, anger is but for a moment. The three-day plague. The ark toppling over. The women and children taking captive, in captivity, the chastisement. The Lord chastising David, but David crying out to the Lord. They're being weeping for a night, but God being faithful to even in those things, work them for good. Because out of all that happened with the families being captive, they went and they rescued them. The next thing you know, David becomes king. And these things happen with the ark. And there's repentance. The next thing you know, the ark is where it belongs. They're in the tabernacle. And then the census and all that comes with it. And the next thing that comes is that sacrifice of the altar being built up there. at Mount Moriah where the temple will be built in the Holy of Holies. God not only again sustaining, but even bringing awesome and good things out of it. Weepings for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's true for every believer. Whatever trial you're going through, listen, it will pass. And God wants to bring a joy. And that joy is going to come when we cry out to Him, when we get our eyes upon Him, when we thank Him, and when we rejoice in Him. And listen, for our lives here on earth, there are things that are going to bring tears. There's going to be things that bring sorrow. But we have a greater hope. Listen, a new day is coming. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. It's a picture of a very brief time of weeping, and yet joy that's going to last forever. Now notice verse 6. It's key to understanding all this. Now in my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. This was a foolish statement. Prosperity here means careless ease. It means carefree self-assurance because things are going so well. And in all those things we looked at, all three of those, you know what, things we looked at, David was in a place where his soul was at ease. Things are going well. I don't need to seek the Lord. I don't need counsel from the scripture. I've done all these things. That pride moved him to doing things unbiblically, and there were consequences that came with it. 
It's Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. But notice verse 7, David corrects his statement. He says, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain strong. Stand strong. In my ease, I said, I won't be moved. But now in this and all this happened, I understand it's your favor. It's your grace that has made my mountain stand strong. And he says, next, you hid your face and I was troubled. So when he said in his ease and his prosperity, I shall never be moved, the Lord hid his face. Which is a picture of David going through a trial of correction. And that troubled his soul, which it should. It means intense agony, terror, anguish. When correction comes upon us or there's chastisement or there's consequence for our sin, there absolutely should be a troubling in our soul, which caused David to do what? Verse 8, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. And isn't it beautiful that we can do that? Isn't it wonderful that when we err and there's setbacks or corrections or consequences that God doesn't say, listen, you, you, you had nine lives, this is your tenth, you're cut off now. Boy, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? But instead the Lord says, bring that to me. I'm not done with you. I began a good work and I'll be faithful to complete it. Is that not good? I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. Best thing we can do daily, and absolutely it's a counsel for these situations. Verse 9, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? David's saying here, my time here is short. Again, these incidents that happened brought him to a near-death place, and now he's repenting. And he's saying, Lord, what good will it be if that death comes upon me? I want to be alive so I can praise you. I want to be alive so I can declare your truth. And now's not the time to shrink back from us praising him. Now's not the time for us to shrink back from sharing his truth. But now's the time for us to be about his business. So if you've been losing heart, it's time to cry out to the Lord and ask him to stir a fresh word in your life. Verse 10, hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, Lord, be my helper. Boy, what a simple prayer. And yet, listen, when it's a prayer that's said in sincerity and humility, the Lord hears it every single time. Whether it's a tax collector saying, be merciful to me, a sinner, or a thief on the cross saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. They weren't long, wordy prayers, but they were prayers from the heart. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your help. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing and you put, put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So again, David in his prosperity did things his own way. Weeping sackcloth came as a result of those decisions. He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord is faithful to restore him and even bring wonderful things even out of those errors. And so in the midst of that, Again, just like when the ark, when it was set into place, it's not just kind of moving here. He's dancing with all of his might as the Lord has replaced that sackcloth with a garment of gladness. And maybe this morning you're in a place where you're weeping and you're saying, when is the season going to come to an end? Listen, it is time to get your eyes on the Lord. It's time to cry out to the Lord. It's time to say to your soul, Soul, you're going to extol the Lord whether you feel like it or not because God is worthy of that praise and that glory and that honor. 
And you do that in the hope that absolutely God's going to bring you through that season of sackcloth and he's going to clothe you with gladness. And listen, that can happen in that single prayer as you begin to fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to filter everything through a biblical perspective. Finally, verse 12, he says, to the end that my glory, and this is his glory here, would be his heart or his soul, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And so at the end of all of this, he says, listen, as long as I can sing praise and give thanks, that's what I'm going to do. And by the way, I'm going to do it forever because God is the God of my salvation. And through all these things we go through here in life and so forth, God is wanting to use them to shape us, to mold us. Do you have any more of a determination? Listen, I'm going to be a man of worship, a, a man of praise, a man of thanksgiving, knowing my eternal destination in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just amazing to me how God, again, is faithful to Israel, to King David, and all of these things. And absolutely, he'll be faithful to us and has been faithful. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Well, this morning, Lord, indeed, we praise you and we thank you, God. And we thank you that you are so good to us, Lord. We thank you for the truth in your word. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that God, as I read this through the week, God, and considered it and thought on it, God, I, Lord, could relate to this and gave thanks to you for your faithfulness to me and to this fellowship and to so many others, God. I want to pray, God, through, Lord, your word here today that our minds would be renewed. I want to pray, God, that we would get our eyes upon you. I want to pray, God, that we could grow, Lord, as a church in giving praise and thanksgiving. God, that, Lord, there could be a move in our lives, God. Lord, there could even be a move of the Spirit of God where there is even a self-control, so to speak, to say, I'm going to put these other things to the side, and I need to lift my voice to the Lord here in the assembly of the brethren. God, that we would have a zealousness in our heart, God, to magnify you and honor you and glorify you, God. And so we ask for that, Lord. And this morning, listen, if you haven't called on the name of Christ, indeed, he was lifted up to make that way of salvation for you. Our sin separates us from God who is holy. And yet Jesus lived a sinless life and he took the wrath to us upon himself and defeated sin and defeated death that through him we could have life. And that comes when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life, when we surrender our lives to him, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be my God. I want to turn from being my own God, from doing things my own way to following the dictates of my heart, from doing as I will to asking you to be my Lord and my Savior and my God, to wash me in my sin and to begin a work in me. And listen, the Lord wants to meet you where you're at. And I just encourage you, if you haven't called on his name, to do that this morning. And after we close with this last worship song, the altar will be open up here. And I'm going to invite you to come up and pray with someone up here. And we love to put a Bible in your hands and encourage you in your new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we thank you for this day and your goodness to us. Let's lift our voices to the Lord as we close this morning.
Oh. Uh-huh.